Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods of Early Adopter, and we're going to do a podcast today with Chayton Dubay, the CEO of IPsoft. What we're going to cover today is some topics related to AI adoption and productization. I was really interested in talking to Chayton because he's got a portfolio at IPsoft that I think represents a really interesting uh, way to productize AI that has a variety of different frameworks that all work together. Uh, this allows, I think, a company to uh, express the automation that it wants inside the framework, expanding the framework, having the framework learn about the automation and expand it on its own in a way that uh, then increases what you want from AI without having to uh, have a, a company play above its sort of skill level and try to craft AI directly from its own, uh, you know, from raw materials. So, Chayton, so happy to have you with us. Um, Delighted to be here. I have been thinking a lot lately about how people are going to mess up the adoption of AI. And it seems like it's such an exciting area that, that, that and there's so many tools. And, 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 and AI is a, is a discipline that has come of age, you know, in an era where open source was the default method of creating the raw materials. So it's really interesting to, to look at something like IBM Watson and to see how their proprietary approach has sort of trapped them and in some ways um, caused them to fall behind while every single other AI engine is powered by open source libraries. Um, Watson had, has persisted in not doing that. It's <coughs> perhaps this, this acquisition of Red Hat will mm -hmm. be a great way for, for them to, to revive that. But, but there's a temptation because all of this stuff is lying around that you need to do it for yourself. Um, my view is that, that people in this first wave of adoption are going to do much better if they adopt AI products and focus instead on understanding themselves and gathering as much data and delivering it to the AI systems as possible. Um, what are you seeing happen in terms of your, the adoption of IPsoft and other AI in general with respect to non-productized adoption and productized adoption? Well, Dan, uh, you, you summed it up very, very well. The biggest impediment to adoption of AI outside of organizational change and organizational and stakeholder buy-ins is the manually intensive overhead associated with adopting such AI solutions. That's the biggest impediment. If you talk to just about <coughs> Anyone, they will tell you that um, a, even an RPA tool, 45% of the people are dissatisfied with it because of the fact that it is manually cumbersome to install and configure and manage it. So when you say the manually intensive um, <coughs> aspects of it, are you essentially saying that these AI systems come as sort of airplane dashboards that you have to then modify all these different settings in order to get them right? That's exactly right. I mean, I think if you just take um, an out-of-the-box AI solution and you try to adapt it to your, you have to configure it, and that cycle typically varies anywhere between three to nine months to be able to have, and it's, it's a fairly intensive, you need data experts, you need uh, not only the typical deep neural networks and an understanding of the what are the positive classifiers and negative classifiers, but also the ability to take all the knowledge that is particular to a corporation, 
and imbibe it into these AI systems. And one of the things that we have found is that, and that's been an impediment because what is the purpose of artificial intelligence? It's, it's supposed to automate. And when we do manual automation, is that not an oxymoron? Should we be manually building these agents that are supposed to automate and streamline these tasks, routine tasks? And that's one of the things where IBSoft has taken a, an interesting approach where AI must be sentient. AI has to self-actualize itself. AI has to get to a point where it can actually be dropped as a platform, just the way that you mentioned. And it has to be able to absorb, just the way humans do, empirically and by observational learning, it has to be able to absorb the parameters of the system, the ecosystem it has been dropped into. And it has to build its models to best suit the businesses. Sentient AI is the answer to the biggest challenge that is an impediment to adoption, widespread adoption of AI technologies. Okay, so mm -hmm. let, let, me, uh, let me unpack a little bit some of the ideas that you've, you've, you've covered. Mm -hmm. At the first level, you're saying that, that uh, yes, people are going to do better adopting products, but just because you're adopting a product doesn't mean you're going to have a satisfying experience. So the reason is, it seems like implied in what you said, is that the product has to have a proper scope and level of maturity. The immature products are about applying AI to do some interesting, difficult task. And one, one um, of the uh, interesting AI uh, systems that I've studied recently is Anodot. And it's really good at recognizing anomalies, you know, in time series data. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it recognizes the anomalies, but it has no semantic map on it. And so you, 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 those anomalies pop up, and then you can decide which are interesting. And then what do you do about it? Well, that's up to you. you know, and then you, can, you have a whole other layer of, of, of systems. What you're saying is the system has to not only recognize the anomalies or do the automation. It has to recognize that and, 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 and respond and have some role in responding. And not only that, it has to have some role in understanding the effectiveness of the response. Uh, and, and if it can do that, then it can be sentient in the way that it can be self-improving and active learning and these, these types of things. Yeah. But then I was looking through your product material, and then you go one step beyond that, and that is you perfectly accept that the coverage of AI is never going to be complete. But it's possible then to watch somebody, once you pop out <coughs> of the automation scope, you can then observe what the person did to actually solve the problem and then learn from that and then add that. And that seems to me, from what you're saying, the highest level of sentience yeah. is um, that not only does it learn from a feedback loop, but it also learns from what is, what is outside of the feedback loop. You are absolutely um, spot on. Learning, and machine learning is perhaps one of the most abused words today in the industry. But learning is the key to continuous improvement in net promoter scores, continuous improvements in the outcomes that an AI system is able to deliver. So how do you learn? 
Well, learning we call machine learning is mostly about identifying an utterance that you couldn't understand, and then retraining your vector machines or your deep neural networks to be able to recognize that utterance. And that's most of what you have in the digital underbelly today. Obviously, there's a ton of an orthogonal train of data analytics that goes off on, uh, and does trend analysis and predictive analytics. But that's another story. This is about just understanding what's been said. You re-crunch your DNN models, and now you're able to understand that utterance. Well, what do you do with that utterance? Oh, right. you are stuck. Right. You haven't really, how do humans do that? Is that, suppose we discovered something new today about how to get um, that orange juice from that tray there to, to right in front of my uh, coffee mug here. If we discovered that, how do humans do that? If I saw you do that, I will actually have an empirical and episodic learning. I will learn by looking at observational learning that how did Dan move this orange juice from this place to this place. And I will know not just about the intent to move the orange juice. I will now have understood the entire way how Dan moved the orange juice from the tray closer to his coffee mug. And next time you asked me to do the same thing, I would be able to do it. So, so isn't that how humans do it? Humans do it with empirical, observational learning, not just intent and utterance uh, synthesis or uh, deconstruction to be able to say that's what the intent was. And that's the difference in true AI systems that Amelia is epitomizes, which she is able to see exactly the way the humans would have learned. She learns the same way. So. What's interesting about that is it seems to be implied in what you said is that you are improving the semantic model, not just doing pattern recognition. And, and, and so the semantic model is getting better, not just the, not just the clever patter pattern recognition. Now, um, before we go on to the product portfolio, which I want to do next, um, one of the things that I, w I wanted to talk about, and I think it's different for your product portfolio than from others, is how do you get an advantage when you're using productized AI. Now, the way that in many of the systems that I've seen, if you have a really good data supply chain and know all of the data that you have and can deliver it with precision and, 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 and with quality and have the ability to apply quality rules and, and transformation rules uh, at the lowest possible cost and then run those data supply chains you know, in an efficient way, you will be able to deliver the data that that AI workload or application workload needs. And if you have more data and more relevant data poured into a productized AI, it will work better. <laughs> and so you can get more out of it than your competitors would get out of it. Because everybody's going to be able to buy these products. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like that that approach only solves part of what a customer could do if they used IPsoft. Obviously, you want to deliver the most amount of data. But there's another aspect of it that has to do with the task automation that isn't really about the data supply chain. So before we get to the product portfolio, mm -hmm. what other aspects do you think people should focus on so that they can build muscle 
so that they can be the most effective user of productized AI. Brilliant. Uh, Dan, the best analogy would be you could get, you could deliver a space shuttle to 10 different, seven out of the top 10 banks use IPsoft and its cognitive agent. Six out of the top 10 insurance companies use IPsoft and its cognitive agent. Are any two of them using it in a very similar way? No. What we have discovered is that you can bring a space shuttle to seven different entities. Each one of them will apply it very differently. And sometimes it doesn't leave the hangar too well. Sometimes it's taxiing on the roadway. But most of the people are flying it and flying differently. For instance, Klarna, I'll give you as an example. Klarna is using banking again, is using uh, AI technologies from us to diffuse the boundaries between banking and retail. It is allowing you to be able to say, I didn't like that, those shoes, I want to return it, one click, and I will get instant credit. Because I, I know Dan Wood, I know he's a respected journalist, and I know that his pedigree, and I know that he ran companies, I'll underwrite you. What have I done? What would have taken about four to six weeks by a conventional bank to be able to I package the shoes and send it back, and now I could get a credit back. Now I have got instant credit because it's been underwritten by Klarna, and I get all the merchant negotiations has been taken away from me because that's done by Klarna. What has Klarna done? It has diffused the boundaries between retail and banking, made possible by the digital catalyst that didn't exist in form of AI platform solutions that are accorded by IPsoft. Now, Here's a prime example of like where, and what are, the, what are the outcome implications of this as an example? Guess who's the largest bank in Nordics today? Only 16 months old, little Klarna has got 78 million subscribers today. Is the largest bank. Now that's one way of flying this thing. The other way is to be able to look at like your credit card volumes and what are the largest, uh, <coughs> one of the largest banks, if not the largest banks has got a credit card incoming volume of 1.2 billion calls coming in a year just related to credit cards. Think about the cost efficiencies and also the efficiencies in the customer satisfaction that you can drive by being able to transform that 1.2 billion credit card calls that are going to an offshore location to be done with onshore quality done by cognitive agents. So it seems like and this, this is a longer <coughs> conversation we'll, we'll have at another time. Yeah. But it seems like that the answer to the question is that you will compete based on your automation architecture. So the idea is that for a, uh, a new emerging bank, you're going to create a new architecture to serve the customer with automation of different types of things uh, and then people behind that automation and then you know, y it's the architecture of the man-machine architecture that, that will then determine how effective your whole, ult you know, the, the whole end-to-end -end business process is and how satisfying. And the, the, the ha as that is well-designed, that will differentiate you from somebody else. Now, uh, obviously, you, you mentioned many people are using this to do, to increase efficiency or increase quality of, of existing <coughs> processes. It's not about changing the automation architecture. But at its core, it seems like that 
data and automation architecture seems to be the two things now th th that I understand that it w would would apply to your product portfolio. Yeah. So now let's 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 uh, let me one one okay. footnote if you indulgence. Give a man a pen and say he's George Bernard Shaw. Give any person a, a, a pen and say that he's Dan Woods. Why should AI be any different than humans? You're basically hiring people in your organization. You could say every organization is the same. No. It's about how organizations use those people. AI is a platform just the same way that humans are. And it is how organizations are using and leveraging this platform to be able to create differentiation, not just in their core, but also in adjacencies, is what's making a difference. We're finding the adoption of where organizations end up on the digital Darwinistic curve is related to how I have leveraged these brains in front of me, these AI technologies in front of me. It's not just that, oh, Microsoft is people, and uh, Amazon is people, and Microsoft is people. Well, we are all equal. No. It's about how these companies leverage these people. Similarly, how companies leverage AI and AI technologies is causing the differentiation between their business models and how they take these resources, these smart, intelligent machines, to be able to adapt and define new business models. I can tell you JP Morgan, for instance, is looking at embedded intelligence. And if you, for instance, take, and uh, as long as you've got the embedded banking, as long as I have got your digital token, the payment token with me. And if you talk to the global CIO there of retail, he'll tell you that it doesn't matter if your needs are retail or health or insurance or banking. I am going to be the provider who's going to be owning your digital under currency because the barriers between each one of these different verticals have been collapsed because of that digital catalyst that is held by that. So a very different banking model. Now you are taking these AI, true AI, which is mimicking human intelligence as opposed to an IVR, is starting to provide the facilitator that allows these different huge banks to build these different models to differentiate their offerings in the marketplace. And I've given you two different examples of what JPMC is doing as opposed to what Klarna is doing. Right, and, and, and that's the idea, is that you need, there are two different strategies you know, you that, that, are, that are enabled by automation Absolutely. that have two different automation architectures where automation is playing a different role, where automation and AI is playing a different role. Absolutely. Right, so now I want to go through the IPsoft product portfolio, but I want to do it using a framework that I developed that initially for analytics, but I think it also applies to AI as well. And that is, I realized that when I started studying um, a variety of different analytics offerings that you had different levels of automation and, di and different levels of productization, excuse yeah. me. And so <coughs> like at the level one is the custom kitchen, you know, which is just yeah. the raw platform, you know, mm -hmm. um, R is the custom kitchen mm -hmm. that most people use, Python mm -hmm. is the custom kitchen. Uh, you know, or, you know, a variety of other things, uh, whether they're contained platforms like Click Click or SciSense or, mm -hmm. or, or, or the raw materials that you get from Amazon or anybody else. Then the second level up is we call dinner in a box. You know, mm -hmm. and this is like a blue uh, apron type thing where you, you get things to assemble. And, you know, Teradata, you know, with a lot of its industry knowledge has done a really good job of providing 
raw materials that then can be assembled by with services and, mm -hmm. and create an analytics offering. I think that in the AI world, some of the SIs have got some of this sort of thing going on, um, and uh, and I and increasingly, uh, you know, like Google and, and Amazon want to have on top of it uh, uh, an ecosystem that will assemble their raw materials mm -hmm. in, into these mm -hmm. solutions. Then on top of that, you have an artisanal brew. Now this seems to be more like uh, the uh, um, IPsoft layer, mm -hmm. which is, I want my you know half calf, uh, skinny flat white latte, you know, extra hot. <laughs> and so there's lots of degrees of freedom, but you're safe. You can't order something that you know mm -hmm. is uh, is impossible to create. You can't, and and you know you possibly could not order something that would taste bad. But and then the final level is the value meal, you know, which is the in process step. Mm -hmm. that is there for someone to use. You may not even know AI is happening or, a, a, or analytics are happening. You are just getting a good suggestion. Um, and and the value meal isn't usually provided by the vendor. It's usually the productization of the lower levels inside a company. Mm -hmm. You know, and, this, and, 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 and in, in, in essence, the automation architecture we've been talking about is could you could think of as the value meal layer applied mm -hmm. either to a consumer experience or to an internal experience. Yeah. So, given this framework, how would you explain the IPsoft um, product portfolio? Well, you captured it very well, because I think, and it's the same parallel that you've captured here quite well. You, s you find the exact same parallel of your architecture in the cloud also. You start at the base infrastructure layer, you have EC2 and SQ. You move up a layer and then you've got a platform. You move up a layer and then you've got uh, middleware as a service platform as a service. You move up a little, another layer and now you've got the applications. And, uh, and the, you move up another layer that you've got business process as a service. And I think the same exact thing exists where you could start here at the base level and you've got a whole bunch of tools at the infrastructure layer of AI, the TensorFlows and the different open bank APIs. PyTorch, et cetera. Uh, exactly. You've got a ton of these building blocks of uh, AI. And you've got incredible amount of libraries for every kind of deep neural networks and bidirectional LSTMs to recurrent neural networks. And you could, you could just name it and you, you could have technologies that are being made available for that. But that's like giving a person bricks and saying, go build your thing now. Now you build on top of it exactly on your model and where you see IPsoft graduating into is the artisanal, as you said very well, which is providing a person a smart Mensa kit. What's the definition of artificial intelligence? Is it not to clone human intelligence? Is it not to say it'll mimic human intelligence? Or is it to say that I will be an IVR, intelligent voice recognition, still a decision tree system? that will try to fake you and still walk you down that maze of a decision tree. And you find yourself in a very inflexible, contextually unaware environment where you're yelling operator representative. The purpose of artificial intelligence is to be able to mimic human intelligence. And what you find in the artisanal variety of where you've stacked up your product portfolio that's where IPsoft provides to a big segment of our customers this real smart Mensa kit. Now you can go ahead 
and allow this kid to be able to learn your business processes, and it'll rapidly assimilate that. I mean, the ex prime example of that can be found in credit suites. When rolled out, today, all of credit suites, incoming IT is being handled. Uh, all the queries are being handled by cognitive agent. When it rolled out, Dan, would you believe, on day one, it only knew 13%. But what would a, small, a smart kid do? A smart kid would say, you put me in an environment in Forbes tomorrow, and I'm picking up the phone and I say, sorry, I don't, I'm sorry I can't tell you, but let me find a real big expert, Dan Woods, and Dan, how do I do this? And you'll tell me something. Okay, Dan, I'll fix. I had to look for you once, but from this point on, I'll always fix it based on what you've taught me. Right, this is, the, so, this is the, the virtual engineer. That, that's right, and so that's what you saw with Credit Suisse, you saw that number 13 go to triple in very short period of time, and now today, it has gone into the high 90s where it's rolling out and fielding all. Just like a very smart kid is able to learn, and that's the, that's the artisanal version. Now what you see in your top stack, going into the value meal, what you said, it has graduated into one bank one held into where people are saying, give me a banking. As a bank is my differentiation, now there are open banking APIs that have come in, particularly applicable in Europe. So banks are saying, no, my differentiation is not gonna lie in how I do accounts and how I do credit cards and how I do your wealth management and how I do your basic processing of short-term liability and how I do, these are things that are just Base, they're the core that a bank will do. Right. My differenti where does my differentiation as a bank lie? It lies at the edge. How am I able to build on these different basic building blocks of banking, which IPsoft has provided me as one bank, and how do I provide my customers a differentiated experience? Doesn't differentiation lie on the edge? Should right. banks still continue to focus on the core? Or should they start to graduate into the adjacencies where the differentiation lies? And they can add more value to their end customer experience. Right, and also and, and to a deeper understanding of the, the what the customer's desires are. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where we find your last layer, the value layer. Amelia is graduating from the artisan where, where she is basically able to say, I will provide you the basic Mensa kid intelligence. Now graduating into I'll provide you I'm now graduated from college, from University of Michigan, and I have now become a banker. So I've now become a healthcare specialist. I've now become a retail specialist. So let's go through the product portfolio, and then I have a couple questions to ask about, about that. You've got the Amelia, the IP Center, and the um, the what was the third one? The one desk. One desk, mm -hmm. as the core mm -hmm. uh, uh, <coughs> three um, uh, uh, product suites. Um, it seemed like, from what I I understood, is that, and and when you read a site, it's always interesting, especially a company that's been around for a while. You can there's an archaeology aspect to it. As you read the marketing materials that were created longer ago, they have the traces of messaging past 
and then you read the stuff that's more close to the front page and you see the ambitions of where they are now and where they want to go. So if you read the front pages of your website, you get this generic ID, ID, I, AI yeah. story, mm -hmm. but then you go down deeper into the you disc, start to disc, see IT. yeah exactly. <laughs> you, you start to see the IT focus, especially yeah. in the IP center mm -hmm. stuff. So, the way I understand, I'm going to guess about what the portfolio is, and maybe you could correct me. The idea is that the IP center is a is a essentially a, a really it's where you started to understand all the APIs of the world. And, and mm -hmm. I've been studying another company called the Numerify, which does mm -hmm. a AI, which does a system of intelligence layer on top of all those systems. Mm -hmm. So it creates a really sophisticated system of metrics and analytics using that foundation. What you did is take the same foundation and created a yeah. system of automation That's right. and, and on that same level of ServiceNow and, yeah. and all of these other um, IT automation. So IP Center seems to be where you learned how to connect in a sophisticated way to the IT systems, but now you've abstracted it away. So it, now IP Center is the, is the sort of MuleSoft or mm -hmm. you know kind of API umbrella that mm -hmm. you use to connect everything. That's right. Then one desk on top of that is where you learn the semantics of and and the automation of the tasks. So you're 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 adding automation tasks, but you're also, in some level, increasing the semantic model. And and that was probably easier to abstract. And then Amelia is where you handle the customer interaction, and and yeah. um, you you now use all of that foundation that you have below, and then but adding still you know more cognitive uh, interactivity yeah. models to do it. So. And then that's the least IT-ish of the of the, of the, the three because that that came along <coughs> later. Mm -hmm. um, and so, how have you? I mean, first of all, describe the portfolio in the mm -hmm. in the in the most abstract, modern way, not not in the archaeology way. Mm -hmm. And then 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 I have a couple more questions about that. Well, our mission statement has always been right from the inception has been consistent. Uh, we felt, and if you would permit me a moment of immodesty, I would say that we have felt that through the leverage of AI we can create a more efficient planet. That's been our mission statement. We started with autonomics. We felt that IT systems could be managed self-governing, self-healing, self-correcting. The manifestation of that is IP Center. Autonomic, IP Center. We felt there's a big human element that is left. The fact that these network devices and system devices in database devices could be self-governing and self-healing is all good, but there's a big human element on the front office that is still left. We need to be able to make sure that in the end, we are in the business of seeing if we can mimic human intelligence. And that's the cognitive layer, Amelia. Autonomic, IP center, cognitive, Amelia. Front office, Amelia, back office, IP center. Is there, Dan, a way to converge the front office cognitive capabilities where we have been fortunate enough to be rated by the analysts to be number one, and the back office autonomic capabilities where, again, we are probably the only company that has got distinction on both the autonomic and cognitive side as graded by the analysts and partners. Could we converge the cognitive front-end capabilities and the autonomic back-end capabilities to provide a first end-to-end -end experience for an enterprise. That, the manifestation of that is one desk. The convergence of both the cognitive front end 
and the autonomic backend to be able to provide end-to-end -end automation. What options do you have? At Forbes, you have a problem. You have a problem with your Wi-Fi. What do you do today? You send a ticket. You open a ticket. You send an email. Might as well have sent something into a black hole. Or you might as well have sent a postcard. Average time to resolution we're finding in the, in the industry is about 17 to 21 hours for such things. And you nod your head because that's what you're experiencing in a big organization. I ask you, is this the most efficient way for sending a postcard when you have a problem? Can we move from an asynchronous way of sending a postcard into a black hole or sending a ticket? Can we resolve to say no to tickets? Can we say, no, I want on-demand service? Technology has come a long way. Cognitive fusion with the autonomic backbone. Can Dan Woods, who's busy enough shaping world opinion, can say, nope, I have a problem with my Wi-Fi. I want service now, whereas I can actually go ahead and get my servicing done as if I was talking to a digital agent, or I was texting with a digital agent, or I was Skyping with a digital agent, or I was slacking with a digital agent. I want to be able to get my Wi-Fi fixed right now without me having to open a ticket. Ticket-based systems, postcard-based systems, are an order of magnitude more inefficient than on-demand IT. And I think the question is, can the world wake up to say no to tickets and resolve an almost mandate that we are going to have an on-demand service environment? Well, so that, that brings me to the couple, other, ask, by the, way. the couple other questions that I want to ask about. And that is, it seems to be implied in what you're saying is that there are ways of automating what's going on, whether it's in IT or other things, that some are more susceptible to the autonomic approach, some are more susceptible to the Amelia, and some are less. Have you seen a refactoring of companies away from less automatable infrastructure toward more automatable infrastructure, away from less automatable promises and business yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, expectations for their clients toward more automatable ones. Because it seems that that's one of the implications that after you, uh, you know, at the, at the large companies you're talking about that get this right, all of a sudden they notice, wow, over in this division, our automation rate is 90% and it was very quickly. Mm -hmm. what is, how is that provisioned? Oh, they're you know, 50% cloud, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and the data centers they have are all at rack space. That's you know, right. very uniform. And here over here, we have a bunch of you know people who've got these custom, you know, sort of uh, built data centers, and the automation rate is 30% or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you? And then have you have you seen the customers wake up to the fact that oh, our automation and our our, our, our efficiency percentages. Now, they, uh, we've discovered things about our company because we've uh, deployed more uh, automation through IPsoft. Absolutely. We have had, uh, you drift more towards the right. You drift more towards standardization. You drift more towards data center consolidation. You drift more towards, and that's the first S-curve of growth. You actually get to a point where you are uh, 
much more streamlined. And, but then you need to have a digital catalyst, which is the AI accelerant to be able to get to the next S-curve, which is uh, an exponential curve increase in productivity. And then this curve obviously already gives you the launching pad of having my data consolidated, having my footprint of my data centers, and having my processes standardized. But after that, if I throw in a digital, if I throw in an AI accelerant and a catalyst to that, I get on to who is running my digital processes now? Is it still being run by people? Or are artificial agents now starting to run it? I've digitized my processes, I've standardized my processes to such an extent that I can now have AI agents run it. Now that's an exponential curve. And so we are finding organizations rapidly growing up on this digital Darwinistic curve as they move up. But you know, interestingly, to your point, the issue is that let's take from um, standardized organization to take an organization which is non-standard. How are their enterprise people, how are they running their enterprises? If you needed something today in any organization, you will be calling a front office and you will be saying, my laptop has got a problem. I need somebody to come in and see why it is not printing. You'll be calling a front office. The front office is going to open a ticket up. And then a back office resolver group who's, a, who's expert at Mac will now pick this ticket up and say, well, Monsieur uh, uh, Boyd, does it happen to be in your New York office or is it in your London office? Oh, you send another postcard back saying, no, no, it's my New York office. I'm currently in uh, close to Wall Street. Oh, okay. And now comes back another response. Have you tried doing this with printing drivers? That's how any enterprise exists today. Could you disintermediate the vast amount of ticketing systems in the middle? That could be a good keeper of records in the back. Could you disintermediate the layers and layers of human middleware? Could you have what you are saying, what is required for us to be able to translate what a business user like you, who's shaping world opinion, is saying, translate it into ITSM speak in the back? You need cognitive layer, a real cognitive layer, not a cute chatbot, not an uh, mm -hmm. I do account uh, unlock and password resets. You know, I need a real understanding of like what his printer driver is having a problem with his MacBook. And this is the kind of, he's a very knowledgeable user. He has already gone, gone to his control panel and he's discovered these things. Now, I need a real cognitive agent to be able to understand and translate what you said in natural language to ITSM speak and then my backbone of autonomic could pick that task up and execute it for you, providing you the on-demand, self-empowered service. That's where the world will go to in 2019. Well, I have one quick question because I know you have to go, and that is, in the cryptocurrency world, there's been some really interesting hacks that have been, and, 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 and uh, attacks and, 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 and raids that have been successful, not based on breaking into the systems, but just using the business rules of the systems themselves to allow somebody to withdraw more money than was actually deposited. Th th that type of attack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a problem with the bit, the blockchain or anything like that. It was a problem with the, the business rules on top of it. That's right. Now, 
I'm sure you wouldn't claim that your cognitive layers are going to be perfect. So what kind of governance have people put in to make sure that these cognitive layers don't do something stupid or like, you know, with, with example, you know, the Microsoft bot that became quickly uh, antisocial and, and racist based on its learning of, of what, you know, provoked mm -hmm. reaction or whatever learning loop, you know, mm -hmm. accelerated that. So what kind of governance do you need? And obviously there's a bigger topic for, a yeah. but, but we do have to, 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 to stop. But what, what's your blink on that? What's your quick, quick thought you on that? You are absolutely right, by the way. I think the, and so, well, one, I would say that in 20 years of doing this, we have not had a single customer security incident caused by autonomic and cognitive technologies. Not one single. And why is it because of exactly the reasons? You have to have control gates of security. So in most financial institutions that we are deploying cognitive agents, I mentioned to you seven out of the top 10 banks, they all say, this is fantastic. It is the holy grail that this agent can just learn on itself. And I don't have to have manual automation, which is an oxymoron. It, AI can learn by itself. It's sentient, as you said but we are going to have to control gate that every midnight to 2 a.m. we'll see all the learnings. We'll have some control gate of a CSI department, continual service improvement department that looks at all those and says, ratified, 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 ratified. Ah, no, this one needs to be improved. No, this one needs to be discarded. This one needs to be. So all those mind maps that Amelia has built um, during the course of operation by observing experts servicing them, they're all going through a controlled gate before Amelia said, yeah, yeah, all this learning is good. You can now go ahead and engage in that. And you're spot on with the fact that there has to be somebody, if you really are paranoid about security as most of our financial institutions are, you must have a gate that just says, we will ratify. Now, 99% of the times they do say, Amelia has learned. Because in the end, Amelia has learned only by empirical learning. So some human had done something which allowed Amelia to learn. She is not learning rogue, but having that gives a good, making sure that only good practices get instituted in the cognitive brain. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting interview. This is again uh, an uh, early adopter podcast with Chetan Dubey. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan.